Sweetheart of Swing. Welcome to Stay Tuned, the show for animation lovers, recorded live on YouTube and proudly streaming on Patreon. Coming to you from Austin, Texas, I'm your host, Phil Maki. Thank you so much for joining me this evening on this final episode of 2018. Tonight, Stay Tuned welcomes special guest Margaret Carey to the show. All that and you'll have a chance to share your thoughts, questions, and opinions with me for a live Q&A after the show. My special guest tonight is an actor, dancer, and all-around entertainer. Her career in film and television ventured off into voice acting with series like Clutch Cargo and The New Three Stooges. She is perhaps most well-known as the real-life inspiration for Walt Disney's Tinkerbell in their 1953 film, Peter Pan. Peter Pan began development back in 1938, and it wasn't fully realized until 16 years later. It is a story that held significance in the childhood of Walt Disney himself, and likewise, me. This makes tonight's topic an all-too-appropriate way to wrap up 2018. Margaret Carey is here to share her experiences as a sprite with Spunk in just a few moments. But first... This. Jiminy! Ooh, what in the world was that? Tinkerbell. Don't know what got into her. Oh, look, a firefly. A pixie. Amazing. What's the pixie doing? Talking. What did she say? She says you're a big, ugly girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I think she's lovely. Margaret Carey, welcome to Stay Tuned. Well, thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. I think your title of your show is delightful because it gives me the idea that we're going to talk about animation. Yes, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. (laughs) (laughs) See how clever I am. You are so clever. Immediately. (laughs) You are so clever. I cannot pull the rug out from under you. So, so Margaret, you have done voice work for several series, but you're probably most known as the model of inspiration for the original Tinkerbell in Disney's Peter Pan. What was that experience like for you? I started to work when I was four. Oh, wow. And I've wow. been in, in our gang, and I've been in 37 major motion pictures and on television, and I had my own show on TV and all the rest. But the most exciting thing that happened to me was I was working at Fox after doing a big ABC show, 
I mean, we're talking way back when you had kinescope. You know, you you didn't have a tape or replays or anything. So it gives you a little flavor of what we're talking about. Yeah. And um, and my agent calls me and said, could you get off work tomorrow? Because they're interviewing for a dancer, um, pantomimist, an actor. And she said, actress, of course, way back then. And she said, for a little three and a half inch Sprite that doesn't talk. And I said, well... Yeah, sure. I, I mean, I, I don't, I'll try. She said, it's for Disney. <laughs> well, I said, you know, uh, I will break down the walls if it's for Disney. I will be there. Absolutely. <laughs> no it was so exciting to get a call from Disney. And everybody that I knew felt the same way at that time. Because Disney was a tiny studio, but it was so imaginative, so creative, that actors or anyone who entertained, and that's what I am, an entertainer, would just, well, be beside themselves. So, anyway... Uh, when you say, what was it like? It was heaven to drive up to the gate. Not the gate they have now. There was a very little gate that said Disney, you know. And the man with the clipboard found my name. And he marked it off. I tell you, that was a moment. <laughs> I'll bet. The first movie I did was um, Midsummer Night's Dream. And I played a fairy. But Warner Brothers has a lot that the feeling when you go there to go to work is... Well, come in, and if you behave yourself, we will let you stay. Oh, boy. Otherwise, this is so temporary. Columbia was even worse. Fox was so large, you couldn't find where you were going, and so was MGM. But Disney has this, and still does, has this attitude, come on in, we're so happy to see you. Uh, it, it, it's just an amazing. I call it the second happiest place on earth. It's just smiles are going on and people are riding bicycles and people are sitting down and having coffee and creating things. Yes. So, now you said second happiest place. Where's the first happiest place? I'll give you two guesses. Oh, boy. Uh, Try you... Disneyland. Oh, Disneyland. Oh, oh I, I see. You're separating the studio from the... Oh, okay. I get you now. But you must. You see, I worked at the studio, and that's where I have most of my friends at the studio and at Imagineering. Oh, yeah. And Disneyland is a theme park. Yes. It, the creativity comes from the studio and comes from Imagineering. But it is the happiest place on earth because you can live a dream. But my goodness, I lived a dream when I was doing Tinkerbell. And isn't it funny how it's almost like it was kismet that you played a fairy in Midsummer Night's Dream before that? I know. Well, you see, I had my, I had practiced. That's the way I felt about it. Yeah. <laughs> You you were being primed. You you were being prepared for your future role. Now let me quickly explain, if I may, sure. why I say I'm Tinkerbell and little men in white coats do not come and take me away. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, uh, I'm too tall to be Tinkerbell. I'm five foot two. I'm ninety in my ninetieth year. I still dance. I still entertain. I still travel. Have a wonderful, wonderful life. But at that time. What they wanted me to do, and they were just about to let the world know that that's what they were doing, they cast me in the role of Tinkerbell. Now, they had an idea of what they wanted her to be like because Mark Davis, 
who designed Tinkerbell. He designed this darling little creature. He was in charge. And there was no nothing for him to follow. Did you realize that? Yes, yes. Okay. There were two lines in James M. Berry's book which talks about when she came to a place that was very quiet and stood still, you could see that she was not a little light, but she made the light by flashing about <laughs> just so quickly, looking for Peter's shadow. And she was dressed elegantly in a skeletal leaf cut low and square, which showed her figure to best advantage. That's all he had to go by. I didn't know that. No, I did not know that. Yes, because before there, she was a little spot of light yeah. on the stage. She still is. Yes. When they do the, the show. The stage show, and yes, that's she correct. Was, she was in one motion picture, but they had dressed her in these flowing gowns that, I mean, nobody could fly in. Elizabethan gowns, so that didn't work. But here he is, he makes this delightful little creature. And you realize, of course, she shows her underpants all the time. This is true. About 30 years later, I said to Mark Davis, Mark, how did you decide to do that and show her underpants? And he says, yes, Margaret. And did you notice they are always clean? <laughs> he cracked me up. I love anyway, it. Anyway, so what you did was you went on the sound stage. You had a regular clue. You had the huge 35 millimeter film camera with three assistants to the cameraman, the director, the lighting crew. There were about eight, I guess. And all the lights, there must have been 25 of the major lights. And you stood out in the middle of the sound stage and you acted out her scene. Now, Mark Davis would tell me what her scene was, but when I first stepped out the first time in front of the camera, I said to him, Mr. Davis, you could tell how long ago it was. We said, Mr. You know, we didn't call him Mark. Mr. Davis, what would you like her to be? Did she like Betty Boo? <laughs> you want her to be above it all, like Queen of the Fairies. And he said, Margaret, we want her to be you. And I said, gosh, golly, I think I could do that. So when you see Tinkerbell and with her walk and when she moves and when she crosses her arms or when she gives that little look, that's me. And that's one of the reasons that they chose me is I'm a dancer. Ah. And she walks like a dancer. She moves like a dancer. She flies like a dancer. Yes. And so that's what I said when I was cast in the role to be Tinkerbell. And they drew every one of the scenes from me. Therefore, I really can't say it. Uh, it was the genius of Mark Davis that could take what I did a little bit further. I, I'm not saying that he only had to do just what I did. Right, right. understand because the man was an utter fabulous gentleman genius see and that's that's so good to hear because you don't really hear a lot about you know a lot of the behind the scenes creators and it's nice to hear that these were some decent guys who were nice to work with oh fabulous fabulous some were a little crazy, but they were fun and crazy. <laughs> yeah. And of course, uh, being a female, uh, it was in Disney, they don't put up with anything or didn't then. I'm sure they don't now. It just wasn't done. Sure. Uh, this is Disney. Yeah. And so we had no problems. I'm walking around looking really, really cute. If any of your listeners would like to see me and see me as Tinkerbell and the other things I've done, they could go to my website, which is Tinkerbell Talks all one word dot com 
And a fan came out of the woodwork one day and he said to me, you need a website and I'm going to make one for you. And he built it. And it is so tinkerbellish. You will just love it. I can't wait. That's awesome. What a wonderful fan as well. People love Tinkerbell. They just adore her. They do. And if I may say, when Disney sent me and Catherine Beaumont over to London for a press junket, when it was a uh, some kind of a celebration for Peter Pan, the movie, I talked to about 30 people from all over the world from the press junket. About 60 people showed up, but I didn't have time to talk to all. And I asked them, Phil, I asked them, what word would you use to describe your feelings for Tinkerbell? Oh, that's a good and question. You know, these are all wordsmiths here. Yeah. And a couple of them died. And I said, well, you know, I've lived with her for a long, long time now. And so I think I've come up with a word. She's beguiling. Yes. You love what she's very bad. You love her when she's very good. But she has your heart. So they use beguiling in about uh, 86% of the articles that were written around the world. Oh, wow. Look at that. Yeah. You you know what what it kind of brings to mind? A rhyme that my grandmother used to say to me when I was a kid. And she would say, there was a little girl and she had a little curl right in the middle of her forehead. Right in the middle of her forehead. Yep. And when she was good. And when she was good, (laughs) she was very, very good. But. And when she was bad, she was horrid. (laughs) That's, that reminds me I of. I got that one, too. Yeah, see? That's a classic. <laughs> so you're telling me that uh, all those little pouting faces and little bits of attitude, those were your personal choices then, right? Yes. And it was always directed by Mark Davis and Jerry. Jerry Geronimi was one of the Uber directors that is you know, uh, putting the whole picture together. So he was right there also. And uh, they would say, we want her to be a little grumpier than that. And one time, Mark said, yeah, we we really would like her to be a little, let's try it anyway, Margaret. And I said, okay, how grumpy do you want her? And that (laughs) incredible genius took the big white piece of paper that he had, the sketching board, and took a pen. And in about 30 seconds, he had drawn Tinkerbell's face just as grumpy as he wanted her. And I thought, this man is a genius. I know a genius. (laughs) <laughs> and he was so adorable. <laughs> That's fantastic. So is, so is his wife, Alice. She is a fabulous woman. Oh, good. And she is an artist on her own right. And you know that Alice Davis designed all the costumes for Pirates of the Caribbean. I did not know that. Yes, and of course, Mark Davis designed Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> yes, yeah, he, he designed all those various characters, and yeah, absolutely. Well, she, desi- she designed all the costumes. Wow. And she designed costumes for It's a Small World. What a, oh, just a wonderful woman. So you got to know Walt pretty well then? No, I did not, but I'm one of those who, one of the few people left who has shook his hand. <laughs> He would come over on soundstage one while I was doing my scenes, which took a time over nine months. They would be ready for the next scene and they would call me and we would make a schedule and I would do that scene. Then I'd go off and do my... I was on network on ABC at the time. I had my own television show on Channel 13 in Los Angeles at the time, and I was doing radio. Wow. So they would call me and say, would it be convenient for you to come to work on Tuesday or Thursday? We're we're ready with the next season. And then I'd figure it out, and I'd say, you know, whatever it was. And they'd say, okay. 
So we would go on stage one and start working, and this group of people would enter, I don't know, 10 o'clock in the morning, 11 o'clock in the morning, and go to the other side of the soundstage and work against a wall. This is all in my book, by the way. There are pictures of them working. It's Buddy Ebsen, and they're planning on registration for a thing called animatronics. What's, the, what's the name of your book? Snowman. Tinkerbell Talks. Got it, got it. By the way, may I stop for just a moment? You may. If anybody wants to get my book, and I will tell you about my book in a second, they can go on Tinkerbell Talks and order it, the least expensive one. And if the code word, they put the word in W-O-W, they will get a signed copy. Oh, wonderful. Yes. Well, thank you for that. So it's Tinkerbell Talk. Anyway, and it's the most, I'll get back to my story about Walt Disney in a moment. (laughs) Sure. And it's the most unusual because I'm an entertainer. I hate books that you have to hold the place and then go back and try and remember where you were in that chapter and so on. Yeah. There are 80 short stories in it. The longest one is eight pages long. Okay. The shortest one is one page long. Oh, okay. And there are 160 pictures in it. Each story of the 80 stories has a beginning, a middle, and an end. So you can pick it up, read the story about all the things with the three stooges that I worked with, with the Lone Ranger, with the Andy Griffith Show. I still travel for them. Read it, put it down, walk away. And so it's an entertaining book. It sounds very convenient and it sounds easy to pick up. And none of it. Remember Aunt Sadie that I told you about in chapter two? Well, and of course you don't. You don't remember <laughs> Aunt Sadie. I was going to say I don't. <laughs> so no. I just wrote it like that. Anyway, we're back to Walt Disney. Okay. They would melt away, and several times Walt Disney would come over to the cameraman and to Mark Davis and Jerry Geronimi, and of course I would be included. And he would chat with them, and a delightful gentleman, and that wonderful voice that we all know. Of course. And he was much slimmer than I thought he would be. Now remember, we did not have the internet. We did not know who people were that were standing next to a movie star or a director or anybody. The only thing that we knew anybody who worked in the studios was the head of the studio, whoever it might be, was a god. <laughs> you never saw them, but if they turned the corner and came your way, curtsy or bow. Wow. They, you couldn't touch them. They weren't real and so on. So that's what I was brought up on. Wow. And I'm standing there, and the head of the studio comes over. And we shake hands. Well, the first time, he just waved at me. And the second time, I think we shook hands, or vice versa, I can't remember. But I was so impressed that it was the head of a studio. Yeah. And I forgot that he was Walt Disney. Fortunately for me, he came back three and number four, and suddenly it dawned on me, he was Walt Disney. Yeah. It was an amazing time. Wow. It really was. And before you knew it. He was charming. He was charming, you said? Just charming. Couldn't have been nicer. Kept the conversation going because I didn't know what to say. Yeah. I really didn't. Yeah. I, I, somebody had told him that I had mentioned I went to school with his daughters. And either he brought it up or somebody brought it up. And he said, I understand you went to school with my daughters. I said, yes. Uh, Sharon is in the lower grade and uh, Diane is in the upper grade. And I went blank because I'm standing there talking to Walt Disney. <laughs> that's That's amazing. <laughs> And he said to me something like, very nice. He said, I think they must have liked you or something like that. Oh, yeah. Anyway. 
That's sweet. I don't think people really stop to realize this, but, you know, as much as Mickey Mouse is synonymous with Disney, honestly, I would say Tinkerbell is right up there because she is always closing out whatever production by coming up in front of the castle and doing that little twirl with her magic wand and you know what I mean? I mean she, exactly. She's, exactly. She's always and there. you know during the time that Mark Davis was designing her, there's a picture of the first pencil sketch that they animated to see whether it would work. Mm-hmm. And do you know that there were people there that um, thought it wouldn't work, that she was too curvy, that she was too uh, this, that, and the other? And oh, I'm wow. sitting in the projection room and I'm, I want to tell them off. Yeah. <laughs> but what do I know? And then as the door opened and closed and the place was jammed, I heard this voice say, here, Walt, take my seat. And I heard the answer back, no, I'm fine. And I thought, the head of the studio is fine? I mean, at other studios, the, the, uh, they would have had everything roped off for them, ah, you know, like a throne. Right. Anyway, she just charmed everyone. And speaking of charming and a little bit of sass, you were also one of the mermaids, right? Well, that changed my whole direction. And Mark Davis called me and wanted to know whether I wanted to do the voice for the mermaid and also the model. And I said, but of course. And uh, have you ever heard of June Ferre? Of course, of course, June Ferre, okay. yes. June was, there's pictures in my book of her and all of us doing the the, uh, the modeling for it. And June was the dark-haired mermaid. Ah, oh, wow. And, and Connie Hilton is the blonde. Okay. So after we finished recording, I can't remember which line that I had. It's either, we just wanted to drown her. Yep. Or, or I had the line, oh. Peter was so happy to see you. Yeah. I don't remember which one. She had one and I had the other. I think one. I think anyway, it's the second one. I think it was. A, I think the drown her one was the blonde, if I'm re- remembering correctly. No, the blonde. Uh, blonde only had giggles. Oh, okay. Um, uh, that I remember. Connie was very upset about it. Anyway, um, afterwards we stepped outside and said, "Why are we battling to be in front of the camera and be actors?" This is the way to go. Voice over. Yeah. You don't have to learn any lines. If they get any changes, you read it. You get to work at about 1 o'clock in the afternoon because your voice is very strong then. You work for two and a half, three hours. You don't have to get into a, get your hair done, a makeup done, wardrobe, or anything. And so we all decided that we were going to go into voiceover. Uh, that wasn't we weren't going to turn down anything else. Right, of, and of course. And of course, June Foray ended up being the grandmother in Mulan, which is my favorite role that she did. She was so funny. Betty, you should have brought back a man. I loved <laughs> her last line. Yes. And, and uh, it just touched me. June is a, uh, was about five feet tall or a little less. I'm five foot two. And I guess she was even, she was four foot 11. We did a lot of work across the microphones from each other because they put the short people on the same mic, you know, and the tall people on another mic. Yeah. And uh, Junie Foray was really a remarkable, remarkable talented woman. Well, I, it's wonderful to hear it. But I, I got to say, based on my brief time meeting you, you defy your age. I'm just being honest. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I just can't be bothered. <laughs> there's, just too much, there's too much adventure around the corner that's right uh, and of course tinkerbell always looks at wasn't that wonderful wasn't that exciting and the the part that didn't work well i can't be bothered i'll learn from that i'll go on right and i guess 
that's me too. That's beautiful. It really is. That's beautiful. Do you get a little uh, smile to yourself when you walk into a store and see like a Tinkerbell Christmas ornament or something like that? Oh my yes. Yeah. Oh my yes. Oh my yes. I go now, and then of course I look immediately and say, "Let's find out whether this this ornament is on model." Yes, on oh, model. I is. love it. Oh, it is. She's wonderful. I love. Poor, I, but I, I, <laughs> Some of the artists, I at the last show that I did up in uh, San Antonio, yeah, this artist, who is a great artist, did her as if she were 32 with her costume almost falling off of her. Oh, dear. Uh, in her reg- one of her regular poses, though, and no underwear. Uh-huh. And people brought it to me, and they thought that was very funny. And so they asked me whether I would sign it. And it was a beautiful job. Don't misunderstand. Sure. So what I wrote on it, I said, um, well, nice try, but no cigar. Oh, nice. <laughs> and they signed it. <laughs> and the, the artist loved that. Okay. Because he had taken her to someplace else. And I don't like that. I yeah. thought Mark Davis just did the most incredible job. Why do you mess around with her? Yeah, that's a debate right there. I can tell you that. Yeah. So, anyhow, do you like Tinkerbell? Oh, I love Tinkerbell. I I, I grew up going to Disney World, uh, the Florida park, uh, nearly every year growing up. And, and just all of Disney, you know, meant so much to me. And my grandmother used to call me Peter Pan because I, as a child, I would always say that I didn't want to become an adult. And here I am now with a show about... <laughs> show about cartoons talking with Tinkerbell uh, I think I succeeded I I mean things happen don't they yeah you know if my grandmother was still here and I told her that I got to speak with Tinkerbell I think she would be very happy that I fulfilled being called Peter Pan at such a young age I was a theater kid and I remember being in the production of Peter Pan for the stage really oh yeah I, I mean I was never a major character I was always like you know pirate number three between what's wrong with that nothing honestly it was the funniest <laughs> thing there's pictures of me with a giant stuffed parrot tied to my shoulder so i mean it's <laughs> pretty fun stuff actually did you enjoy julia roberts portrayal in the the 90s the the hook movie i love the hook movie all except the, the food fight oh really like no 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 <laughs> i'm a mom <laughs> oh no okay okay <laughs> I, I have to. Like yeah, that, that, that was anyway, a, a huge mess. Absolutely. I'm going to say this. Yeah. I think Julia Roberts is probably one of the finest actresses I've ever seen. Yeah. And what happened, as far as I'm concerned, was that the director Ron did not come to an understanding of who Tinkerbell was, and he was trying something new. And if you go back and watch it again, okay, you'll find in her sequences. He asked her to be four different characters. Hmm. Now, they were all Tinkerbell. One of them was the romantic character. Right. One was the modern girl. Right. One of them was this giggly little whatever. Yes. And I've forgotten the other one. And she did each one of them beautifully. But for the movie, it didn't gel. It felt a little disjointed, you're saying. Yeah. And I know what he was trying for. Mm -hmm. Because, after all, Judy Roberts is not Tinkerbell. Come on. She's even bigger than I am. And we all know she's Julia Roberts. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's the problem when you have somebody so well-known. I just think she's fabulous. Oh, yeah. But that's the challenge when you have somebody so well-known try to take on a role. Mm -hmm. You can't forget everything else. You know, you can't look at her and not think pretty woman. You know what I mean? Exactly. 
Yeah. Exactly. And as I say, if you think of each one of them as a little episode, and she was playing a different per- person as Julia Roberts playing Tinkerbell, you will see she did a wonderful job. How interesting. How about the newer direct-to-video movies about Tinkerbell? Have you seen those? Are you a fan of those? You, you know mean what I- the, the ones with the fairies? Yeah, yeah. Well, they called me over and we went through some things and they wanted my opinion about this, that, and the other. And of course, being Tinkerbell and Margaret, I gave my opinion. And of course. The, the artwork was just gorgeous. And they were really stumbling along a little bit hmm. of what they were going to do the first one. And they didn't do it, which I'm, I'm very upset about, was the one about the beautiful tree. That, oh. that they were going to do a whole show around the tree on at Neverland. Oh, wow. And one of the things that I will tell you the downside, as far as I'm concerned, okay. is the fact that I never thought of Tinkerbell living in a room. I never thought of Tinkerbell having a closet with clothes. I never thought of her going to work from 9 to 5. Mm. And I never thought of her having a supervisor. Having said that, I thought that they just did a great job because each one of the seven movies has a wonderful lesson to teach children who are watching. Very true, yes. And to me, that is marvelous. That's what Disney does best. Yes. And so communications and what's the other one? Be kind to your friends. Yeah. Friends are important. The the one where they they teased her and she got trapped in the the great um, the great fairy rescue one of my favorites and then of course tinkerbell saves the day by tinkering with the automobile that's what she does best is tinker that's right <laughs> absolutely <laughs> uh, I, I, so that was one of my favorites and of course i was adopted that story is in in the book also tinkerbell talks oh um, okay and I found my family after 50 years. Oh, my gosh. So the last one that they did, where she finds her half-sister in the snow, that touched me, of course. And it was sort of, reach out and find your family. And isn't that what we're doing already with DNA? And, it is, uh, yeah. All the, the genealogists, I think it's wonderful. It's a fascinating time we live in where now we are just becoming more and more connected to people in ways we never imagined possible. Oh, my. I go all the way back to, it turns out, to a place in Ireland called Glen Carty, C-A-R-T-Y, which Glen evidently was a little kingdom. And when the British came over in the 1600s and invaded Ireland, a lot of the Irish left and came to the New World. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, my um, family's name is McCarty. That means son of Carty. Oh. And so here I am as Irish as Irish can be. Well, I would be remiss not to ask you this then, because you mentioned that you were trained as a dancer, and now you're telling me about your Irish heritage. So do you Irish step dance? I never even heard of it until I saw the the wonderful... uh, Michael Flatley? Yes, yes. And I, I just was mesmerized. No, I was trained to tap dance. Okay. And then I was assistant to Nico, somewhat an assistant to Nico Charisse, who was the husband of Sid Charisse, who taught her ballet. And so I was with that whole group, the ballet and tap. And if you go on YouTube, I understand, and look for Margaret Carey, K-E-R-R-Y, you will find my big dance number that I did in the Andy Eddie Cantor movie, If You Knew Susie. Oh, wonderful. 
So I still tap dance on stage. Blows the audience mind away. I'm in my 90th year, and I am still really good. That is very impressive. And to me, that is inspiring because I think a lot of people get this mentality, or at least our society has this mentality of you work until a certain age, and then you retire and you stop. And I think that's such a shame because you have all these years of experience. Why not put them to good use, you know? Well, I I agree with you wholeheartedly, and I think that people are getting more teachable all the time. Sure. And they're trying a little bit of this. I'm in such good shape because I am a diabetic. I was told about 15 years ago, I guess. And when I was told, I said, really, what is that? And they said, well, you have to watch what you eat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I said, oh, a whole new adventure. (laughs) And I figured, as my daughter-in-law says, we only have one earth suit that God gives us. Mm -hmm. So it's best to look after it. It is. You're not going to get any substitutes. That's right. And from that moment on, I started to eat differently and watch after what, um, watch my weight and exercise. Not crazily, but, you know, just not the popping all of the Reese's peanut butter cups in my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) And then getting enough sleep. Yeah. And getting a balanced diet with lots of fruit, etc. It hasn't been hard, but it just made all the difference that I can run around and walk the corridors of the airports. Well, I do take a wheelchair there because they're too long. But I just walk and walk and dance and dance. And I'm doing an hour show this um, Sunday up in Concord, California. And it's called Mouse Con, C-O-N at the end. Okay. And I will I will also be there with my pictures and I'll be signing and also my books. But uh, I will do an hour show there and talk about Mark Davis and all the things and end up tap dancing. Amazing. So I'm looking forward to it. Well, Margaret, you are an absolute joy to talk to and I would say an inspiration to anybody listening about just pursuing your passion for years and years and years. And obviously, you've brought so many people joy through your portrayal of Tink. It's been a real treat having you here, honestly. Well, thank you so very, very much. And once again, if I may, it yeah. sounds like a plug. I'm going to remind everybody of that. So so everybody listening, so if you go to TinkerbellTalks.com and you put in code W-O-W, you'll get a signed copy of Margaret Carey's book. And, and listen, my dear, yes. may I send faith, trust, and a whole bunch of pixie dust your way and to your listeners and your viewers? Oh, please do. I would love it so much. Okay. And uh, I will talk to you soon. And everyone else, you just remember, be yourself. Everybody else is taken. (laughs) I love it. I love that. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you.
That was a selection of score including Perturbed Pixie from the 1953 Walt Disney animated feature Peter Pan. Similar to her representation on the stage, Tinkerbell can be heard musically in the form of chiming bells. The score was composed by Oliver Wallace, who by that time had already established a lot of what I consider to be the classic Disney musical sound. His other compositions included Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, Dumbo, and Alice in Wonderland. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode. Special thanks go out to Margaret Carey once again for joining us here on the show. Thanks so much also to all of you listening in live on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you would like to support Stay Tuned and listen anytime, join me over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash filmaki to become a subscriber today. Not only are there cool rewards, but you can also stream this show anytime you like, which means never missing an episode. For more fun, check out my original comics at retailsunshine.com, and you can interact with me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handles of both Retail Sunshine and Filmaki. Also, you can keep up to date with the latest animation news by visiting this show at facebook.com forward slash stay tuned show. I've been Filmaki, you've been a wonderful audience, and until next year, keep those eyeballs peeled, those ears open, and be sure to stay tuned. <laughs>